0: Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Albaton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of his holy word. They're all yours, Cher. Barney. Please, Andy. Now, men, there are a few things we ought to get straightened out right at the start to avoid any grief later on. Now, here at the Rock, we have two (laughs) basic rules. Memorize them so that you can say them in your sleep. The first rule is... Obey all rules. (laughs) Secondly, do not write on the wall, <laughs> as it takes a lot of work to erase writing off of walls. Now, <laughs> as we tell all men when they <laughs> shut behind them, you are starting a new life. If you are wise, you'll begin rehabilitation. Barney. barney i got to go out and look for the two that's still loose now promise me you'll stay away from the prisoners you got nothing to worry about (laughs) make gomer stay away from them too i told you the mayberry jail is going to be run as secure as a big house itself How's everything? Smooth as clockwork. I finally got through to them that around here orders is orders. <laughs> Oops. Time for meal time formation. 13. Huh. <laughs> Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Man, don't we all aspire to have a little Barney Fife in us when it comes to parenting, right? Think about that for just a moment, right? You, you, I think about it as a prison guard, but think about doing that, being able to do that and pull that off as a parent. I mean, that dude really knows how or knew how to whip people into shape. In fact, First time I saw that video, I was like, I got to get me one of them whistles. I <laughs> think, boop, and they jump up and do it, right? But did you catch Barney's last line there to Andy? He said this he said, That's the only way to handle them. A strict routine, right? We oftentimes in parenting, right? Man, we often fantasize about that strict routine, right? We want to lay down the law. Sometimes we dream about our children moving around like well-trained soldiers, or in Barney's case, well-trained prisoners to our every command. But if you think about that for just a moment, is that law-based, is that rule-based atmosphere best for parenting children? Jesus, as we might expect, right, as the Messiah Christ as the son of God in the flesh right we should expect him to say profound things and he said a lot of profound things of course everything he said was amazing but one of the most profound things that Jesus ever said has to be this treat others the way you want to be treated we often know it as doing others as you would have them do unto you that's the golden rule right let me ask you this morning does that apply to To parenting. Does that apply to parenting? There is so much wisdom in treating your children the way that you would want to be treated. And if we reflect on this for very long at all, we just might put down our whistles. Because like others, we like to have freedom ourselves, right? We like to have freedom to be different, freedom to have an opinion, freedom to make mistakes, freedom to be honest, Freedom to follow our own unique desires within the bounds of righteousness. Isn't that how God parents us? Today we're going to conclude our series called God-Shaped Parenting, where we looked at the perfect parent, right? God the Father, to see how He parents so that we can learn to parent like God. We want to be a godly, God-like parent. So two weeks ago we looked at how God gives wisdom and knowledge to his children. Three weeks ago we looked at how God is heart focused. And then a month ago we looked at how God is God-centered. Today's parenting, God-shaped parenting concept is found in Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. Before we look at the text, however, let me first give credit to Dr. Tim Kimmel for helping me formulate a lot of my thoughts today. He was very helpful for me in thinking some of these things through and how to parent in a Godly way in this regard. And let me also say this important statement, right? It's a very important one. We need to grasp if we're going to parent well as Christians. And here's the statement. Here it is. Our view of God and our relationship to Him and how we think He views us directly feeds into how we see our roles as parent. And in turn determines how we are going to deliver the parenting goods or perhaps the parenting bads to our kids. Again, in other words, our view of God is going to affect our parenting, all right? So we need to ask two questions. First is this question. Is God primarily a lawgiver or a grace giver? Is God primarily a lawgiver or a grace giver? And then secondly is this, is my relationship with God primarily law-based or grace-based? Let's turn to our text here to find out the answer when we look at God. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9, just two verses here to look at. But it's going to tell us a lot about our good God The Bible says this, Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray to God. Father, I pray that you would help us to see who you really are, Father, as Father God. And we want to emulate that, we want to copy that, that we might be better parents here on earth. Father, I pray for moms today who carry such a heavy load often. And God, I pray for dads who likewise carry a heavy load. But together, mom and dad, what a burden it is sometimes to parent, but what a joy it is and what a gift from God children are. Father, would you help us by your grace to parent better? It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Grab your seat there. So looking here at Psalm 145, I would argue, as you look at it again, that God is primarily a grace giver. Look at it again, Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. I love these adjectives. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. And you might say, well, Ben, you're just, peri- you're, you're just cherry-picking here. You just found a verse that says God's gracious. You didn't look at the rest of the Bible. I mean, there's so much more to say, right? Well, I could, have that re- I could have turned elsewhere in the Bible. I could have read Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. that says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Does that sound familiar? Keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Or we could have turned to Psalm 86, verse 15. Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Are you detecting a theme yet? Or we could have turned to Lamentations. Of all books of the Bible, turn to Lamentations, chapter 3. Verse 22 and 23, where it says this, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or, we could turn to Micah 7, verse 18 and 19, where it says this. Micah 7, 18 and 19, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? For the, remnant, uh, for the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our, uh, he will tread our, our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Or we could have turned to Ephesians chapter 2, verse four and five. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we could go to a thousand other verses. You know, I mean, it's just the, the, the Bible is full of verses talking about God's mercy and his grace. It's over and over and over again. We primarily see that God is a grace giver. Rather than a lawgiver, he is a grace giver primarily more than a lawgiver, and he invites us into a relationship as a grace receiver rather than a law keeper. God is a grace based parent, and if you and I, if we want to imitate God as a parent, we need to be grace based as well. We need to be a grace giver more than we need to be a law giver. We need to invite our children into relationships that are grace receiving more than law keeping. But as you all know, man, man, we live in a fallen world. Amen? Man, we do. We live in a fallen world. And we take the good things of God, all the good gifts of God, and we twist them all up, even as Christians, and get them all bent out of shape to where we're something other than what God intended us to be. As you think about the different types of parenting styles, different types of parents. Instead of grace-based, there are typically two other types that we fall into. There are several that we could list out here. But typically, if you're a good parent, if you're a good parent striving to raise your family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Typically, there are two types of parenting styles that we fall into that we should probably avoid. Let me say that a little stronger. We should avoid, okay? First, instead of being a, instead of being a grace-based parent, oftentimes we become a judgmental parent. A judgmental parent. You see, a judgmental parent, he spends most of, her, most of his time or, uh, or her time making sure that their child is better than the competition, Right? They spend most of the time making sure that the child is better than the competition, better than the neighbor's kids, better than her sister's kids or his brother's kids, better than the other kids at church. Oftentimes the judgmental parent is very selective in their play date choices because they don't want their kids around the wrong people. Their children are supposed to support their parents' concerns about what's wrong with everyone around them, and they can especially be hard on kids who don't accept the parent's narrow view of life. If you're watching a judgmental parent in action, oftentimes you will see them with their finger pointing at somebody else and saying, don't be like them. And they sort of live as the monitor for everybody else's parenting, everybody else's behavior. The judgmental parent's voice to their children would be a mixture of this, God is watching you, and so am I. Mixed with, you may be bad, but you ain't as bad as them. (laughs) That's the judgmental parent's voice oftentimes. And children who grow up in a judgmental parent's house tend to leave that home With a feeling of spiritual elitism. The second type of parenting that we often fall into, instead of grace-based parenting, is what you might call legalistic parenting. Legalistic parents, they they spin round and around, right? Going around all the time, making sure that their family, their kids, do everything right, however they define what right is. They like to keep score of the good things that those kids have done. And the bad things, right? They're making the list. They're checking it twice. They secretly believe that their kids' behavior helps them stack up brownie points with God. And so for that reason, they are especially hard on children who don't toe the line. The legalistic parent's voice to their children is a mixture of this. You owe God, so you better get busy. Mixed with this. You may be bad, But if you would try harder, God would love you more. Children in a legalistic home, they tend to leave home feeling guilty. They leave home feeling like a failure. They often want nothing to do with their parents' method of parenting. A lot of times they want nothing to do with their parents. And they usually live their lives in stark contrast to the values that they were raised with. But beloved, God says that there's a better way his way, right? Instead of being a judgmental parent or a legalistic parent, that we should strive to be a grace-based parent like God, okay? You see, grace-based parents, they spend their time entrusting themselves to Christ, right? Now, we're going to talk about ideals that we're all striving for, hopefully, here. None of us have reached this. This is what we should aspire to be, that we, that that grace-based parents, we entrust ourselves to Christ. We live to know God more, and the more we know God we see, how far we fall short. Amen? The more you you get in the light of God, the holiness of God, the more it is clear that we have fallen short, that we're not any better than anybody else. In fact, a grace-based parent sees themselves as the chief of sinners. But they also see along with that where they've fallen short, they see the influx of God's amazing grace pouring in, filling up those gaps, building in those shortcomings. They see God's grace in unchanging love because they know they can never earn the love of God. They praise God that He's gracious, like our text said, and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that he is good to all and that his mercy is over all that he's made. And the grace-based parent drinks that up and then pours that out to their children. You see, the grace-based parent, for children of grace-based parents, they are daily recipients Of the grace that these parents themselves are enjoying from the Lord. And they are especially gracious to their children when they are hardest to love. You ever have one of those days where your kids are just hard to love? They broke everything they could break. They didn't listen to you. They whined, cried through a fit in the cereal aisle. You know what I'm talking about? Just one of those days but it's on those days when a grace-based parent loves their child even harder you see the voice to the child who uh, from a parent who is grace-based is a mixture of this you are a gift from god i love you son i love you daughter mixed with this you are broken And you do bad things, but you're still my child. I still love you, and there is forgiveness in Christ. This sort of parenting, guys, makes all the difference in the world. This is the kind of parent we should strive to be, especially when you and I consider the grace-based parenting from God and what it communicates to our children. So here's today's task. We're going to answer this question. Today's task is, what does grace-based parenting communicate, all right? What does grace-based parenting communicate? You see, your parenting style, it communicates something to your child, whether you realize it or not. And let's just be honest, there are some things that our children, they need to hear. You see, God made your son and daughter, and he has made them with certain needs in their body to hear as a human being. And judgmental parenting will not communicate these things. Legalistic parent, parenting will not communicate these things, but grace-based parenting will, all right? So these are some things that God says to us as a grace-based parent, and we in turn need to communicate these things to our children as a grace-based parent ourselves. First, grace-based parenting communicates this: Child, you are secure. You are secure. When you think about God being, as it says in our text, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, we are reminded that we are secure in God. We who are children of God are safe in God. Our relationship is safe in God. You see, one of the greatest passages of Scripture that speaks to the security that we have in God comes from Romans 8. And if you know anything about that chapter of the Bible, you, your mind might be going immediately to the section beginning in verse 31. Romans eight thirty-one, where it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's certainly part of what I'm talking about here. But to get the fullness of what I'm talking about, you need to back up a couple of verses to verse 29. Verse 29, where it says in Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew. You see, that phrase right there, for those whom he foreknew, is the ground of our security in God. You see, when the Bible uses the word foreknow in this way, it uses it in two ways, all right? Two ways that the Bible uses the word foreknow. One, the Bible uses the word foreknow to speak about pre-knowledge of events, Right, seeing into the future. What you might properly call prescience, pre-science, pre-seeing, pre-knowing. You see, the Bible tells us that God knows what's going to happen before it happens, right? He knows the end from the beginning. But the other way the Bible uses the word for know is not with events, but with people. Not with events, but with people. The word know, for instance, let's take off the word for there. And just look at the word know. In the Hebrew culture and in the Bible here, which is written from a Hebrew culture perspective, the word know in Hebrew is a euphemism for intimacy. Right, to illustrate what I'm talking about, the most well-known example is when the Virgin Mary, when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a baby. You might remember she said, how can this be since I have not known a man? You see, she uses the word know there to talk about intimacy. Yeah, she she had knowledge of men, right? She had a daddy. She probably had brothers. She had people in her village and community there that knew who were men. So she knew men as far as knowledge of men in that regard, information. But when she says, I've never known a man, she was talking about a euphemism for intimacy. She had never intimately, she didn't have intimate knowledge of a man. Speaking about the nation of Israel, Paul later says in Romans 11:2, he says God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Again, that's not talking about future knowledge, that's talking about the intimacy of knowledge, okay? God is saying, you didn't choose me, Israel, I chose you. I chose Israel and I fixed my love on Israel. And that's the way when we come here to Romans eight twenty nine, that's the way the Bible is using the word for new here in Romans eight twenty nine. God's not talking about knowing some future action. He's talking about fixing his love on a people. God says to you and me and all who are his, I fixed my love on you before you were ever born. We did not earn God's love. He gave it to us by his grace. It's unconditional love. It's that fixated, that steadfast love then that leads to the rest of the good stuff, right? How many of you guys love Romans 8 as a whole chapter? Man, it's awesome, amen? It's grounded right here. All this good stuff is grounded in this part right here. For those whom he foreknew, look at 29 and 30. All this good stuff that comes after verse 29 there. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's that fixated, steadfast, unconditional love from God that leads Paul to ask this question. In verse 35 and 36 of Romans 8, look at what he says. He says, who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So that's the question. What's going to separate us from the love of God? And I want you to see what the answer is in verse 37 through 39. Romans 8, 37 through 39. He says, no, no. What shall separate us from the love of God? Will these things separate us from the love of God? And the resounding answer is what, church? No! <laughs> For I am convinced in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, let me say it more straightforward, nothing can separate you from the love of God because God has fixed his love on you. God is a grace-based parent. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If he has fixed his love on you, you are secure in God. And when we strive to be grace-based in our parenting, we communicate to our children, child You are secure. You are secure. You see, a judgmental parent says this. As long as you see the world the way I see the world, and you are the best at whatever we try to do as a family, you have my affection and my approval. That's what the judgmental parent says. The legalistic parent says this. As long as you follow my rules, you have my affection and my approval. And in both of these situations here, affection and approval are conditional. They are conditioned upon this child performing the right things, doing the right things, believing the right things. But the grace-based parent says this to their child. Son, daughter, daughter, You have my affection and approval because you are mine. I have fixed my love on you before you were ever born. How many of y'all today would say, I loved my babies before they were ever born? Amen? Amen. You didn't choose me to make you your parent. I chose to make you my child and I don't care how many times you messed up man I don't care how many times you messed your diaper I don't care how many times you wrote on the wall I don't care how many times you took my stuff and lost it I don't care how many times you threw a tantrum or bit your sister or as you got into the teenage years backtalked me I don't care how many poor choices you have made I don't even care how many sinful choices you've made you are my child I have fixed my love on you because you are my child. And I'm going to do, here's the promise from the parents though, child. Listen, I'm going to do everything in my power to remove that foolishness from you. (laughs) That's right. But I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to love you enough to try to remove that from you. But it will not determine whether or not I have affection for you and I approve of you as a child, as my child child okay my love is fixed on you and that's the kind of love that god has for us by his grace and that's the kind of love that we need to have for our children by his grace so grace-based parenting communicates child you're secure some of you guys probably have very heart-wrenching stories that you could tell where you grew up in a judgmental home or you grew up in a legalistic home And when you didn't think like mom and dad thought, or you didn't do what mom and dad said do in the way they wanted it done, they cut you off or they froze you out. It's very hurtful. That's not the God that we have and that's not the kind of parents we should be. Child, you are secure. That's the first thing it communicates. Secondly, grace-based parenting communicates this. Child, you are valuable. Child, you are valuable. It's so sad when you think about this world that's filled with so many children whose parents don't value them. Millions are neglected, physically abused. Millions are mentally beat down and told that they're worthless. Millions never even get a chance to breathe air on this earth because they are aborted, devalued, and aborted before they're ever born. Yet God says that every single person is of immense value. Immense value. Every single person is of immense value because every single person is made in the image of God. Every person is made. Now, don't look at your kid in the middle of the day before their nap time because they ain't going to look like they're in the image of God at that moment, right? Right? wait till they're asleep at night. (laughs) Walk in there and those little angelic lips just, right? I mean, that's when you say, oh, be still in my heart, right? But even in the middle of those worst moments, they are made in the image of God and they are of great value. We read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, and that is true also for every single person from Eden to Alvaton. Every single person is made in the image of God. We're conceived in the image of God, created in the image of God. We're later born in the image of God. And that fact alone makes every person of immense value. And we think about the world for a moment. The world says that you are valuable if you have a certain level of beauty. The world says you are valuable if you have a certain level of intellect. The world says you're valuable if you have a certain level of skill, especially if you can dunk a basketball or hit a baseball. The world says that you're valuable if you have a full capacity when it comes to your body and your mind, that you're not handicapped in any way. But God says... Regardless of your looks, (laughs) praise God. Regardless of your smarts, regardless of your handicaps, you are valuable. Not because you're great in and of yourself, but because God's grace is great in you. God's image is beautiful in you. And that same grace mindset, y'all, needs to spill over into our parenting. You see, the judgmental parent says this. The judgmental parent says, you are valuable if you raise my status in the community. If other people look at me and say, man, they must be an awesome parent. That's when I value my kids. That's what the judgmental parent thinks. The legalistic parent says this, you are valuable if you can earn me points with God. But grace-based parents say this, you're valuable because God made you, period. You are valuable because God made you. You are unique, right? Those righteous things about you that are unique, they are gifts from God and they make you you. God has blessed me with five kids. And man, the one thing that I've got to say is that every single one of them are unique, right? Every single not, not, there is no two children alike. Even if they're twins, they're very different, okay? And sometimes when we think about this in terms of valuing each child, this is hard for us to grasp. Because oftentimes, there is one child that we value over another one because they're more like us. Because they think like us. So they're into the things that we love. So guys, I I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge me here. We didn't give birth to clones, right? We gave birth to children. And every one of them are unique. And we must value every one of them for who they are. Are as that unique individual and we got to find ways to connect with every one of our children and to rejoice in the value that they bring to your life and to your family finally grace-based parenting it communicates that you're valuable but it also communicates finally this child you have hope child you have hope you see people need hope. And God is a God of hope, man. He abounds in hope. There is hope in God that God is going to save the day, right? There is hope in God that when we mess up, he will come and restore and rescue, even from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. We saw God working as this hope giver. Yeah, he said, "Curses on you, Adam and Eve, and the snake. But then he also gave hope. Eve, one day, one day, your distant grandson will crush the devil's head, Hallelujah. right? And then God, in His grace, in His hope, He then slaughtered an animal and covered their nakedness, right there. And when you think about big oopses, right? We we all have had our kids say, "Oops, I didn't mean to do that." Does it get bigger than? Then the fall of humanity, right? I mean, that's what Adam and Eve brought them into. But even in that moment of greatest mistakes, <laughs> if you want to call it that, greatest of sins, God said, There is hope. There is hope. God gave them hope because he is a God of hope. Just as it says in Romans 15:13, it says, May the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. God is a grace based parent who gives hope to his children, even in the darkest moments. When your sin was the ugliest, God said, Child, you have hope. And that's the truth that you and I need to communicate to our children as well. Now, the judgmental parent says, your hope, you have hope, but your hope is in you, so be better than others. The legalistic parent says, your hope is in you, so you'd better not fail. But the grace-based parent says, you have hope even when you fail, because your hope is in God. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Your hope is not in you. Amen? If you want to give your kids hope, don't point them to themselves. Point them to Jesus. That's why it's really important for us. Think about this for just a moment before we kind of begin to wrap up here. When you think about giving your kid hope, I'm not going to go into any detail on this. I just want you to chew on this. That's why it's really important for you to not over-discipline your children. Discipline them. You better discipline them, but do not over-discipline them. Because if we over-discipline them, like, dude, you are grounded for a year. <laughs> you all, the only thing you get is air, right? We say things like that. And we do that when we're angry. And we do that, I guess, when we're kidding. But when you do that, when you over-discipline your child or over-punish your child, you take away their hope. You take away their hope because a year to a child might as well be a century and as you take that down with each age just be appropriate in your discipline should it should it should equal the 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 wrong that happened and it should be age appropriate okay give your child hope child you have hope can i just advocate for the children. Parents, on behalf of the kids, let me say this. Speaking of myself here, your kids need grace. The parents, don't forget, you need grace as well. Parenting is probably the hardest job you'll ever do. And I've never seen anyone parent perfectly, but our Father God, who is in heaven. I just want to encourage you. Do you feel like you messed up? There is grace. And when you mess up again, there's going to be grace. You as a parent need grace from God. The other morning I got up and I had to go out in the yard and do some stuff. I had to go get some stuff and get it picked up and, and all this stuff. Man, that morning the dew was so thick it was so thick that morning and I, 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 couldn't, find the, uh, I couldn't find Zachariah's rubber boots he, he and I wear the same size boots and he had them somewhere else I couldn't find them and so I'm out walking in the yard doing all this stuff and I had my tennis shoes on and before I was done those shoes were completely soaked man I couldn't wear them for the rest of the day they had to dry out but I want you to think about this Lamentations I read it earlier Lamentations 3 verse 22 and 23 Says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, like that dew on the ground, man, that was saturating my shoes as I walked in it, and it's there every morning. Here's my final prayer may grace abound in your parenting life, like the dew on of the ground every morning that you wake up as mom or dad you're going to need grace i pray that you will give grace hi there this is pastor ben i have something really important to ask you but first i want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done The straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what He has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.